Welcome to the Focus on Agriculture podcast. I'm your host, Preston. And I'm Jason. Jason, we had a good podcast conversation today, didn't we? Yeah, we had a, it was very interesting to talk to Jack Mark, who is the managing director of the Illinois Ag Tech Accelerator. Yeah, it was great to hear Jack's perspective on ag tech trends and kind of the up and coming technology in the field of agriculture. It was also exciting to hear about some of the companies, the startups that he's working with through his accelerator program. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting to think about some of these non-traditional ag companies and the things they're doing and what that can bring to the ag industry potentially going forward. Yeah, let's jump right into the conversation with Jack. Jack, thanks for joining us today. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. To start off, can you tell us a little bit about your background, you know, as much or as little as you want to tell us about where you came from and your, and your education history and, you know, your career, how it's brought you to your current role? Yeah, I'd be happy to. So I, I, uh, I have a rather uh, atypical uh, entry, I think, into, into agriculture, although I've lived in um, farming communities my whole life. Uh, I've, I've, I've joked, I know people that um, sort of say, I live in a small town in the middle of nowhere, and the small town is 1,500 people, and they're 15 minutes from a Walmart. But when I say I grew up in a small town in the middle of nowhere, it was 500 people, and we were 45 minutes from the nearest Walmart. <laughs> so I think I think I checked that box pretty pretty solidly. But it was it was a great community right across the street from a John Deere dealership, which for a kid that likes tractors is uh, basically heaven. So as I got older, I kind of got interested in different things. I went to school for political science and kind of got into a wide variety of different things, uh, worked a couple of different kinds of jobs, all of them very exciting, very rewarding, um, but eventually ended up at a company uh, of all things that makes radio control airplanes. And this was uh, kind of right about the same time the drone boom was kind of really taking it, hitting its stride. And this was a company that kind of on the hobby side sort of led in that space for the better part of the last 30 years. And so there was a group of people at that company that sort of said, hey, you know, we're really good at this drone thing. Why don't we try our hand at the commercial stuff. And uh, if you guys remember those early days, there were sort of two players, that, sort of two groups of players that were kind of entering that space. There were the folks that were adapting military-grade technology with a military-grade price tag. And then there were people that were adapting or adapting the hobby-grade stuff with a hobby-grade price tag. And those were the ones that kind of won out. And we kind of know now who those, who those big, bigger players are. But the company that I was working for, we were interested in doing, um, and I'm sure you guys have I've heard about this a lot, but we were interested in strapping a multispectral sensor and getting a DBI imagery of, of fields and, and delivering that to farmers to add as a data layer to their precision ag operations. At the time, uh, it was really early on. I don't know that it was really the right time to be doing that. The utility of that, I think, has sort of fizzled a little bit. Um, I think there are some people that are finding some use out of that, but I don't know that it quite hit in the way that we thought it would. And so after sort of trying that for a few months or, or about I guess probably a couple of years. Um, they uh, we kind of eventually spun that down, and I uh, had a relationship with a company, um, an ag tech company that was uh, interested in consuming the imagery for their um, processing uh, purposes, and uh, in, including as a, in a data layer for their own uh, analytics processing. And um, they approached me about working for them, which I accepted, and that was. Uh, Agrable for folks that have been following, um, you know, ag tech companies in the Midwest. That was pretty exciting, um, pretty exciting journey with Agrable, and then, you know, followed by, uh, you know, the company got acquired by Nutrien. I worked for Nutrien for a couple of years as a product manager, and then eventually uh, found out about this opportunity. You know, Nutrien is definitely a you know global organization, um, but I was kind of looking for something a little bit smaller, a little bit more local. And so when the opportunity to work with this accelerator came up, I jumped on it and was very excited that everybody involved found that it was a mutual fit. So one of the things that, um, you know, kind of going back to that first, uh, first experience, which obviously <laughs> I have a first experience working with farmers and, and, and ag professionals, trying to convince them to buy a rather expensive uh, NDVI, you know, equipped drone. Uh, one of the things that impressed me was the the fact that you know most of the people that operate in the ag space are really no nonsense. You know, you show up with what you've got, you demonstrate that it works, and there's not a lot of extra. Um, you know, coming from someone who had worked in consumer product goods, there's not as much discussion about the, oh the color's not right, or it needs to have this different look, or it needs to have this different. You know, I mean, there's a little bit of that, but uh, you know, at the end of the day, the uh, one of the reasons why I have a lot of a lot of respect for 
for farmers is they're eminently practical. It just, it really needs to work. It yeah, they're, to, they're really good at figuring out what brings value to their operation and what doesn't, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, I love that. I love that because it, that really, um, it makes things, frankly, it can't, if you're willing to listen and you're willing to learn and you have an appreciation for the hard work that they do, um, those are really kind of the foundations of good conversation with growers to understand what they need. And then you can develop technology around them. And so I think that's an important perspective to have. It's something that most of the startups that we that we work with have an appreciation for that already. Um, and, and the ones that are still kind of figuring some of that out, um, we're happy to, to work with them on that and, and emphasize the fact that you're going to build relationships that are as important as the product that you build. And, and they're kind of inseparable because um, because, you know, a farmer's trust is hard won. And once you have it, you, you know, that, that's, that's a very a precious thing that has to be protected. So, um, and I, I just, I, I just really like that dynamic, honestly. I mean, it's a, it's a hard hill sometimes, you know, it's ag is not an industry that is easily convinced of some new glittery object, uh, which I think is a good thing, but sometimes it's hard to make things hard to, but it's a part of the challenge I think I enjoy. Yeah, it's always fascinating to hear the backstory of our, our guest, Jack, going from like the hobby RC world to where you're currently at. It's fascinating to see that trajectory. And later on in the interview, we want to kind of ask you, like from a student perspective, um, what advice you have. But before we get into that, a lot of our listeners are consumers. So they are typically viewing farmers as older guys with straw hats on this little tiny tractor, um, kind of putting down the field. But the reality is ag tech is, has already evolved to a tremendous amount. You know, it, it's currently evolving in the last 10 years alone. The amount of changes that have happened are, are uh, almost incomprehensible. Maybe for the consumer listeners, could you kind of describe some of the major ag tech trends that are, that are currently happening in our industry? Yeah, yeah, I'd be happy to. But I, I also kind of want to go back to the, to the straw hat, the straw hat person, because I think there's, a, there's, a, there's an analogy to to kind of sort of explain the, the American farmer that I don't know gets circulated enough. And so if you, if you sort of imagine that every year a, a farmer is, or even for yourself, you make IRA contributions and you probably work with an investment advisor, or you will at some point work with an investment advisor on a, a, a pile of money that you're supposed to live off of from some point of your life further. And if any of you, if anybody has paid attention to the stock market, this is a really good year to sort of test your level of anxiety or confidence in the decisions you've made thus far. And I think this year in particular with the roller coaster that the stock market has been on is a really good year to sort of say, this is what a farmer deals with every single year. The fluctuations in the stock market are beyond the control of the people that invest in it for the most part. And in the same way, the farmer makes an investment in his input supplies and his seed and, and he has a plan for what he's gonna do in terms of, of, of developing that. And technology is a critical part of that. There's a lot of opportunity for growth and I'll get to that in a second, but I think appreciating the, that straw hat guy, that's absolutely not the case. They are a conscientious investor in their future and the future of the food supply chain. And they're making very risky decisions in the various inputs and management practices that they choose for their for their operation on the basis of a few assumptions around what the weather's going to do and what the grain markets are going to do. And they have control over some of that. They don't have control over certain things. They can't decide to make it rain when it needs to rain or have it stop raining when they need to get in the field and do something. So I think the a better than that straw hat farmer guy, the better picture is an investment banker on whom the world relies for their food. And, and, and the fact that we all eat, I think, is a testament to the fact that they're actually quite good at that. He may actually be wearing a straw hat, but that doesn't mean uh, <laughs> he he's not very savvy about what's going that's, on, right? That's true. I am no way I own one. I am no way uh, knocking. Uh, I guess it's a palm branch hat, but I'm no way knocking any sort of headgear that farmers choose. But uh, yeah, I think I think that's an important thing to kind of a, a different way that maybe people don't always think about farmers, but a, definitely a very important way I think to be respectful of, of really the their emotional well-being and the anxiety that they have on you know what they what they sort of uh, live and breathe on a daily basis so kind of leading into that I think the innovations that I see are are around alleviating some of that anxiety they're already overworked and and frankly the markets haven't been kind to them so in a way they're kind of underpaid 
And I think that the innovations that are most important to ag right now are the ones that address that. How do we allow them to, to farm more efficiently so that it's not, um, it's not a, it's not a backbreaking endeavor um, because it absolutely is a, a labor of love for every farmer I've talked to. And, I, and that's good. But, you know, I also was a musician for a little while. And I can tell you that I definitely was not appreciative of anybody that was like, oh, if you love what you do, you should do it for free. <laughs> and so I, I think I can kind of relate in that regard. Um, but I think that the, the innovations that we're seeing are around things like um, if you're going to farm intelligently, every acre of the field has more data attached to it than ever before. 30 years ago, you could probably efficiently manage all of your farming data in a notebook. You could write it down and that's what people did and that was fine. But you might write down a dozen data points um, and I'm speaking more of observation than experience here. So you guys, you guys would know more about this. Feel free to jump in and kind of add some more color experience if you want. But, you know, some number of years ago, you probably could write down everything you needed to know about your field, about your farming operation in a notebook. And um, what we have now, the resolution of the data is much higher. We have aerial imagery, we have satellite imagery, we have um, machine data coming off of the tractors. We have, uh, it, you know, take your pick of, of analytics and, and insights that you can, um, that you can look at. And, and the volume of data around agriculture has just exploded in the last, really just the last 10 or 15 years from where it would have been before, maybe even the last five years. And that is, it's, it, the innovation, and that's partly due to innovation that's generating those data, um, but there's also innovation around managing that data and processing it and turning into um, decision, um, decision driving um, insights uh, so that the farmer doesn't have to look at a spreadsheet with you know, a gazillion data points. They're looking at summary insights that some model or some analyst is providing them. And so I think there's a lot of innovation around that. Um, and then upstream from that, I think is, you know, you kind of, uh, or I guess downstream from that, as you look at sort of from the field to the, to the table, there are various aspects of those supply chains and those operations where there's a lot of opportunity for innovation as well. So things like making sure that, um, you know, tracking grain from the field to the table for sustainability reasons, for practice reasons, for quality assurance reasons. And one of the things that I think, uh, again, that I don't know that the American farmer always gets credit for is growing really good quality grain on metrics that we may not even be tracking. And so I think there's a lot of opportunity for innovation around that, making sure that, you know, it, on international markets, the American farmer is getting credit for growing a high quality product in, in all of the various ways that it matters that it's high quality. Um, I think that's there's an opportunity for us to be a, a differentiator there as well. So, um, and not just for the for the American farmer, but certainly you know living in the Midwest, that they're kind of top of mind for me. So, I think those are some. And then uh, there's some sort of the the obvious ones that you kind of see on TV periodically around the the automation um, and you know self-driving tractors and stuff like that that I think are are important as well. Um, but I think I think the the real big challenge really is, and we've seen this in this last year, is the supply chain, food supply chain, has sort of been stressed, um, and we've seen some fractures. And my favorite example is that I remember early on in the pandemic, um, there was a real pinch on whole milk at the grocery store, and my kids, you know, we all drink whole milk, so um, we weren't able to get it at the grocery store. But the next day, I'm reading an article in the Wall Street Journal. It's got this big picture of some dairy farmer dumping milk down the drain because he can't, he like the supply chain is so broken. He can't get it. Literally, he can't. I'm watching the milk that my kids are supposed to be drinking. <laughs> and we didn't starve, but I'm watching the milk that I was supposed to get at the grocery store that day go down a drain in a newspaper. And it's like something is fundamentally broken here. And I think one of the things that's really important when you're looking at industry is, you know, innovation is really, innovation sometimes makes us happier, right? Innovation in, you know, the screen resolution of a TV. That's not necessarily making anybody smarter, better, faster, stronger. But, you know, our movies look better. Um, when you talk about things like the food supply chain, this isn't just about a prettier picture. This is very much about, um, you know, food security, excuse me, food security. And, um, you know, when, when that innovation in these areas is really critical because it solves uh, fundamental functional pain points, like not being able to get milk from this guy that was dumping down the drain to my grocery store. And so I think if you're looking for where are the pockets of innovation in ag that are happening 
and where's the potential for more of them to happen, you really don't have to look further than the fractures in the system that, you know, we, we, we ran the whole model through an enormous stress test this year and it fractured and it broke down in, in various ways. And I think all of those fractures, all of those breaks, um, all of those, um, you know, stress points are opportunities for innovation. And, and we'll see people identify those. I'm very confident in the ingenuity of innovators and entrepreneurs to identify those things and solve those things quickly. Because quite frankly, the food supply chain is, is really too big to fail. I mean, we have to keep eating. And so the solutions will come and, and I think we'll end up in a better place uh, because of it. It's, it's interesting, Jack, that you, you know, kind of take it to the food supply chain. I hadn't thought that through before, but I've kind of been sitting here thinking as you were talking, you know, all the technology that is on farm that helps farmers grow uh, their crops more efficiently, uh, do things better, make their lives easier, hopefully increase profit in some cases or most cases, you know, those things are, are important. But, but at the end of the day, if, if those things all go away, farmer could still go out and uh, grow his crop, you know, still get it planted. In most cases, it might be a little bit of a pain, but he still could get his crop planted and harvested. But, you know, when we talk about the food supply chain, getting the food to the people is a big challenge. And in my mind, anyway, when I'm thinking about the importance of, of farmers and, and getting food to the public, uh, I maybe overlook that in my mind as, as an extremely important step. And as you mentioned, it really got pressure put on it this year. So when, when we get back to the on-farm uh, data collection, farmers are collecting tens of thousands of data points on every field. Uh, whereas in the past, they had a few scale tickets that probably were combined into one data point for the entire field, the yield and the moisture, and of course the acreage. So they'd, they'd have an idea of how that field did. But as we talk about all this data and how it travels back and forth, um, you know, there's a real need for strengthening the way data is sent. Speaking of internet and rural broadband, that's a real weak point in the system if we look at how data is shared. Uh, Jack, what do you see for rural broadband improvements in the future? You know, the need and the, you know, how quickly do you think that's going to get fixed? You know, I, I think it's an, it's an underappreciated problem. Uh, I think people, especially when you get to the edges of, of, of rural areas and, and your cell signal isn't as bad. I think people that live it and breathe it every day sort of have a very different experience. And it, you know, just, you know, population density wise, most people don't ever have to deal with the drop signal anymore. We've mostly solved that problem outside of rural areas. But I, if there's any question, if anyone doesn't believe me, you don't have to do, I mean, if, my wife and I took a train from Champaign, Illinois to Marshall, I think it's Marshall, I think we got off in Marshall, Texas, southeastern Texas. And I can tell you, trains don't follow interstates. And the major cell phone players didn't bother building towers along train tracks. And we had an act, we had a, uh, we were on a, a major national cell network, and we had data less than half the time we were on that trip. So it is definitely a real problem. And, and that's not even, I mean, obviously on a train, you never get too far from a city big enough to have a train station. And so we, that's not even, that's not even representative. That's not even representative of what most, uh, most people in, in rural agricultural areas um, would experience. Um, and the, you know, the consequence of that, honestly, is, is that the fields in the United States, when you start looking, especially in the, in the Plains states, um, the the size of the field the average size of the field is huge and so there's just there's just no there's just less of an opportunity i think for people to sort of appreciate that people still live there <laughs> and um and there are still houses there and they still need to be able to interact with the rest of the world on a level playing field and right now they're not i mean they're 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 entirely disadvantaged because um the rest of the internet has sort of evolved to assume that you have a high-speed data connection and I mean, ask anybody that's got satellite, it's not a high speed data connection. It's, 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 it really hasn't progressed that much, honestly, from what dial up speeds were 15 years ago. And so it's definitely an urgent need. And, and the volume of data that's being produced on the farm, as well as the volume of data that has to get to the farm, 
in the form of things that data points that the farmer may not be collecting. And satellite imagery is a really good example of that. Aerial imagery is a good example of that. This is this is data dense. They're large files um, that have to get to the farmer. And, and sitting in front of your computer for 10 minutes waiting for a, a data layer to download or, or to load on your screen or whatever is just not an efficient way to get things done. So yeah, I think it's absolutely an important thing. And, and um, that's one area where I haven't I haven't kept up to date on all of the all of the efforts to innovate. I know that there are people that are addressing that need, but it, they it really just can't be fixed fast enough. Tesla's got the the Starlink program, right? That's going to be the solution. <laughs> Jack, you kind of started out, I, I guess, when you went over your intro. I wanted to circle back around to what you're currently doing with the the accelerator program. Would you, for the audience, I guess, first of all, break down what an accelerator program is? And then maybe go into detail about your specific program and then maybe talk a little bit about the current participants as well. Absolutely. I think the easiest way to think about an accelerator is just to stay very, very close. The name is actually very descriptive. There's no weird black magic or anything like that. It, it, it exists. Accelerator programs exist solely for the purpose of taking a company that is growing at one rate and accelerating them to a new, much larger rate. So one of the things that's really critical for startups and, and startups are, are sort of a unique company in that they are intended to to disrupt to, to do something that is novel so in a very unknown space to do it very quickly to grow very very quickly and to deliver uh an, a really a, a disruptively significant value uh to the industry that they operate in and so Thinking about all of those things, the role of an accelerator is basically to make sure that any impediments to those three things, accomplishing those three goals, are removed or reduced as much as they can be. So a good example of that would be there are less lessons that the innovator, that the entrepreneur will need to learn. And sometimes they have the right network to where they can ask those questions and get those questions answered quickly, but sometimes they don't. And what we, what we do um, with Generator, Generator is the name of the company that operates the, um, the Illinois Actech Accelerator uh, in partnership with some sponsors I'll talk about in a second. But the Generator platform and the support of, of the sponsors for our program are a way to amplify and magnify that the entrepreneur's network so that instead of them having to figure this out on their own, they now have a team of literally hundreds of people, um, each with their own sort of specialty sort of helping them figure that stuff out. And those hundreds of people come from staff. So, so I'm, I'm in that list. Our sponsors are definitely in that list, but so are other people from various industries that operate in our network as mentors, provide advice to these entrepreneurs. So that's how we accomplish our goal of moving companies along faster than they would if they were operating in a vacuum or trying to go it alone. The accelerator itself, I think, kind of came out of the sort of acknowledging the observation that Champaign, Illinois, which is where I live, uh, well, technically Savoy for those of you that, uh, that know, the, know the area, but Champaign, Champaign County, Champaign area, uh, is home to, uh, and I'm probably going to annoy some people from other places in Illinois, but 500,000 acres of the best farmland in the world. And I would extend that to the broader part of Illinois and certainly the Midwest, um, 500,000 acres in Champaign County. And um, and we're, we're definitely an ag tech hub. I mean, the research park at the University of Illinois is home to companies like John Deere, ADM, Agco, Nutrien, um, Cargill is there, Granular is there, uh, Corteva is there, if you kind of consider sort of naming the same company twice a little bit. Bayer is obviously there as well. And so the, the presence of, of these companies, these companies all are here because they recognize the value of having a presence here. So there's an enormous amount of knowledge. And going back to those hundreds of, of potential mentors and, and sources of knowledge, this is a unique, Champagne is, is unique, uh, maybe not alone, but certainly unique in its ability to bring that knowledge to entrepreneurs. And not even just from our immediate area, because these companies are global companies. And so our relationship with these companies allows us to sort of tap into that and, and that hundreds of potential knowledge partners could, could very well end up being a thousand, thousands by the time you kind of expand it out as far as it can go. And then obviously the University of Illinois is a, uh, and Research Park is a, is a sponsor of our program, a very critical partner in our program. And uh, with the University of Illinois being top five in both computer science and agriculture, I kind of joke that 
you know, here in Champaign, we put the ag tech in ag tech, um, being, being very proficient in both areas. And, and we have, uh, we've had several conversations with Parkland College and Parkland is, is a number two precision ag college. And so, so being able to bring all of these forces to bear to benefit the entrepreneurs that come through our program um, really, I think, sort of is, is exactly the sort of recipe that they need to accelerate what they're doing. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention some of our other partners or our companies like uh, Sarah Ventures, who, um, who was uh, an early investor in, in Agripol. So this is definitely not their first, um, their first uh, rodeo in terms of investing in ag companies that invested in several others and actually just recently raised an ag tech uh, exclusive fund specific, uh, specifically for ag tech. Um, and um, Fox Development Corp and Jim Realty are very involved in, in helping us uh, in a number of different ways of supporting the cohort and providing us some space. Um, and then obviously uh, um, uh, Champaign County Economic Development Corporation has been very supportive as well. And um, in getting us involved in Ag Tech Week, which we're very excited about in March, we've got some special programming for our cohort during that. Um, and then we've also gotten some support from AgriFab down in Sullivan. So we're, we're backed by people who understand, uh, who understand ag. We, I don't have to explain to them why a new crop protection chemistry is difficult to, to release to market. It might take a while and be expensive. You know, they get that. That's a, that's sort of a, a conversation that's been had they understand. So, um, so I think in, 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 the, in that regard, it's, it's, we're, we're equipped very well to support our companies and the structure, the structure of the program itself. Um, we run two programs a year. Um, we're currently in program right now. And I'll talk a little bit about the companies that we have in that program. The company that the program that we're in right now runs for seven weeks. And there's a $25,000 investment that we make into each of those five companies. And for anybody that's run a company, it's not, a, it's not an enormous sum of money, but the value that our companies find really is, is also in the support that we offer them. So, so overall, it's a, it's a substantial investment in the success of those five companies. We work with them for seven weeks. Over the course of those seven weeks, we will facilitate the introduction to dozens of potential mentors every week we bring in a new group of five um, for each of the companies to talk to um, there are other introductions that we make that are bespoke to each uh, each of the companies we take a very hands-on concierge approach identifying specific ways that we can assist um, each of the companies that we work with and so there is no sitting in a classroom for an hour listening to me blither on about um, some, some business principle that may or may not apply to that company. Everything is very, very targeted, which is one of the reasons why we only work with five companies because it's a, it's a fair amount of work, I can tell you, that to, 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 to do this in a compressed time period in a way that is effective for those companies. They're, they're busy too. And so we, we really kind of view this as being the most, um, if they're in a meeting with me, the assumption is that's the most valuable thing that they can be doing with that time. Um, and so I think it's really critical to make sure that we're delivering on that. We also do another program, um, and this is our first year running these programs. So this is our first seven-week program. We're going to do our first 12-week program um, that will kick off in July. Um, we'll start taking applications for that in early March. That program will run for 12 weeks, and each of those companies will get a $100,000 investment. So it's a little bit more intensive. The intention is that those companies would perhaps be a little further along, which is probably worth sort of mentioning, you know, when is the right time for a company to, for a startup to join an accelerator and and for people that are sort of interacting with those companies, what can they expect in terms of maturity of product? And really, I think these, these companies are very early on. In one case, one of our companies is, uh, is still kind of developing what their first product is going to look like. And so um, their very early stage is the, the technical or, you know, in the no term or whatever. The very early stage company, early possibly pre-product. Um, they may still be working out some kinks around their business model or their pricing or feature set or target market. And they may also, in the case of uh, one company we're working with, uh, still be working on EPA registration if it's a, if it's a crop, uh, crop protection product. But they, they are generally early. And so this goes back to the point I was making earlier about the importance of winning over the trust of your customer, which is especially important in ag. These companies have to be very, very careful. You don't necessarily want to take something that hasn't been tested. You want your first customer is sort of half customer, half partner, because you need their feedback to improve things. And you also need their patience to deal with things when they don't run, when they don't work the way that they're supposed to. And that's not for everybody. That's not, you know, not everybody is an early adopter. And so we encourage our companies to be very careful about who they're reaching out to so that 
they're not dealing with disgruntled customers who expected a polished finished product and got something held together with duct tape and bailing wire, which, uh, you know, early stage companies, there's a lot of that. So I think it's really important to sort of, you know, for them to, to realize sort of like, who do they really need to go after and, and, and make sure they're connecting with the right, with the right customers. So that's kind of a whirlwind tour of, of what we do and, and how we do. And I think it's also, um, I'll tell you, you know, working with Generator and, and some of their programming, was, I was really impressed the first time that I encountered, um, encountered them because they also do, uh, Generator, we also do a, uh, an on-ramp ad conference um, that, uh, that was in the first year last year, got basically every major name in agriculture to participate. And, and I think for a company to come from outside of ag with no previous ag, ag experience and execute on a conference like that, and I can kind of brag about it because I wasn't involved. <laughs> so I'm not bragging about anything that I did. Uh, I was just thoroughly <laughs> impressed with the company. One of the reasons why I was excited to kind of join them was that they executed really well on this. For them to be able to bring in you know, over 60 ag companies and facilitate introductions with over 450 startups that applied, these, these are big numbers in an industry that is, you know, I think it's fair to say very skeptical of companies that kind of come in and say, oh, no, here, let me help you with ag. <laughs> and I think Generator did it with the appropriate level of humility, and we plan on continuing to, to you know, embody that and sort of be very respectful of the fact that the, the people that are in this business know this business and, and have a voice that needs to be heard. And, and we're really interested in connecting our startups with those voices so that our startups can learn and, and figure out the best way to, to roll out this this technology, I think that's, that's very, you know, just desperately needed. Yeah. That's fascinating, Jack. Um, before you get to your current class, could you maybe speak in a, in a broad sense to the current appetite from investment sources um, towards the agricultural industry? Is that appetite growing or what's the current state? Yeah. So I think, um, and this is something that at generator, we sort of say, you know, we saw this coming <laughs> for a long time when you talk about, venture investments in private equity and startups. Everybody thinks about, you know, the Menlo Parks and Silicon Valleys and, and maybe Boston and New York to a certain extent. And these other kind of innovation hubs that sort of tend to live on the coasts. And the Midwest was largely overlooked. And it, as it turns out, we're actually pretty good at it. So um, I think there's a growing realization and, and Generator, this has sort of a, been a mantra for Generator since its earliest, earliest days that innovation does exist in the Midwest and that it's worth investing in and that it is every bit as good um, and has all of the potential of these ecosystems that exist on the coasts. And so facilitating the introduction of the investors to the innovation that's happening right here in the Midwest, I think is a critical uh, function that Generator performs. So extending that, I think, extending that to ag even more so. I mean, I think the skepticism when you have a company from, and nothing against the innovation that's come out of Silicon Valley, there's been some really, really innovative, really good technology that's come out of Silicon Valley. But when you have somebody from San Francisco show up in, you know, Champaign or Des Moines or, or Quincy and sort of say, nah, here, here's, here's something you should use on your cornfield. By the way, I've never seen a cornfield that big before. <laughs> I think it sort of hurts their credibility a little bit. And um, and so I think the companies that have been successful are the ones that are sort of exemplify the characteristics I mentioned before about, you know, being respectful of, of the territory they're moving into. So I think as the eco innovation ecosystems have, have evolved over the last several years in the Midwest to support innovation, investors have taken more note. And there are innovation centers on every major ag university in the Midwest now. And they are fostering critical innovation that people are starting to take more note of. And so a good example of that is obviously, you know, the, one of our sponsors, Sarah, I'll, I'll mention again, that they have not done an ag specific fund. They've made some ag investments, but their, their, their latest fund is solely focused on ag. And so there's definitely a growing interest in investment in ag. And I think it'll be interesting to see how that evolves, because I think that is also going to strain um, sort of the mechanisms of venture investment and sort of the, the systems that startups operate in because, uh, it, you know, what, what happens when these companies start to deliver on this innovation, you now have a lot of new players in the tech space. I mean, can they all be absorbed by large corporations? So it's sort of an interesting thing, I think, to watch as the uh, investment in ag tech continues to increase because we still have a lot of problems to solve and the capital is, I, I believe, well-placed. 
is sort of like what what does that do to the dynamics at agribusiness globally as the as innovations come to market and, and and begin to take a foothold so but yeah definitely i guess a long way to answer the question investment in ag is definitely growing and and i think it's overdue so i'm excited to kind of see it start to catch up where i think it needs to be so yeah jack i I appreciate your uh, perspective on the ag industry. It's definitely, there's a lot of growth that's going to occur over the next couple of decades. Do you want to describe your current class of entrepreneurs that have joined recently joined your program? Yeah, absolutely. Ag tech is such a broad field before I get into the, into the companies and kind of, I think it's sort of to set the stage for the breadth that we're looking at. Um, we look at uh, companies that can, disrupt industries that ag is either directly involved in or supports. So this kind of gets into, we've sort of wrestled with the question of how food tech do we go? And we sort of drawn the line to say, like, in general, we don't usually work with companies that are doing finished packaged goods. Now, in terms of the food ingredient space, certainly um, that begins to be a little bit more of a gray area. And definitely if it's an ag related food ingredient, they become more appropriate for our program. And then obviously on the, on the other on the other end of the spectrum, the things that are very, you know, I would say deep ag tech around crop protections and predictive analytics and things like that. Um, those are also areas that are obviously a keen interest for us. The five companies that we're working with are Ag Voice, which is a, a voice, sort of a voice to data platform. And the major disruption I think that they're working with, if you think about the things that have sort of slowed down ag in the past, sort of the first, uh, sorry, not slowed down ag, but slowed down the adoption of uh, digital technology and ag. Um, I think we really saw an explosion, partly due to other supporting technologies, but um, we've seen an explosion lately because growers have been able to interact with the phone. Um, in fact, I think I, I think that you, you could probably find several people whose first computer, if you want to call it that, was their phone. And part of the reason for that is because the farmer works long days and the last thing they want to do when they get home is sit in front of a computer and put in everything they did that, that, everything they did that day. So I don't know that an ordinary desktop or laptop was, was really a, an interface, if you want to think about it that way, it was really an interface that was ever going to work with ag, at least not in a meaningful way. And so the phone is better because now it's in their pocket and they can, you know, they get five minutes in their truck, they can sort of whittle away at the pile of data that they have to enter that's not automatically entered for them. Uh, but I think the major disruption that ag voice can offer is that it, it removes another, yet another barrier because it will allow people in the agriculture industry, not just growers, but people across the agriculture industry to be able to interact with the digital ag platforms that they use with their voice. So hands-free. Um, and as far as I know, farmers use their hands quite a bit. So I think it's a pretty big deal to bring ag specific hands-free technology and uh, ag focused digital assistance. So that's, that's ag voice. We're also working with a company out of Costa Rica that is working on a novel crop protection product that um, is less susceptible to building resistance and tolerance in um, fungus and bacteria. They've already had quite a bit of success with some specialty crops in Central America, and they're looking to expand to the United States. So that's a company where we're working with them on navigating EPA registration territory and all of the lovely joys that go along with that, as I'm sure some of you are probably familiar with. And as you might imagine, getting something registered with the federal government is uh, time consuming. So we're really excited to kind of to bring that technology in. And, and again, I think that's where, you know, our role as a platform connecting innovation with the consumers that need it, um, which in this case, you know, connecting an innovation from outside the United States with people in the United States, the growers in the United States that can really benefit from this technology. We really don't necessarily see ourselves as being for the Champaign County ecosystem exclusively limited to the Champaign County ecosystem. I think we can best function by uh, facilitating the connections um, and, uh, and demonstrating what, uh, what, what we can do in that, um, with, in, with regard to that in the Midwest, uh, specifically in Champaign. So um, we're also working with a company that is radically simplifying the quality assurance supply chain, I guess you might say, or, or the, the flow of information from input providers to the to the consumers and when i say input providers i know that that's that has specific meaning in a grower's mind this is actually more on on the food food side of things so um the way it's done currently there are various forms for quality compliance and things like that that sort of flow from um producers to distributors to the company that does the processing. And if that's not the company that does the finished product, then onto the company that does the finished product. And there's this massive chain of paperwork that people are spending their time hunting down. 
And so Ochify is a company that we're working with that is digitizing all of that in a way that is very complementary to the existing practice. Instead of saying, okay, stop what you're doing today and do it completely differently, they're using a lot of um, like text recognition and PDF uh, scanning and digitization of existing processes to facilitate the transition to a digital platform. So they've really nailed the right, I think, the right balance of, um, you know, interfacing with the way things are done currently, adapting that process, and then migrating it to a more digital, sustainable practice. We also are working with a company that is dealing with algae, which is, a, I think, at least for me, kind of a new way to think about agriculture, but it is, it is an agricultural product. Um, and we are starting to see algae farming become more significant. Um, and so this company is actually using a genetically modified uh, strain of algae to produce a vibrant, and I mean, it is, it is vibrant blue dye that is food safe. And uh, <laughs> if you think about dyes, the, the way that this is done right now is, is usually with uh, petrochemicals, uh, things that ingredients that are artificial colors, for example, that are derived from petrochemicals. And that's not sitting as well in consumers with consumers as, as it used to. They're looking for more natural alternatives. And so this gives them a natural alternative to blue, which is typically very difficult to find in nature. Vibrant, um, robust, and stable blue dyes have been a really difficult challenge to solve using natural means. And so, um, so uh, Spira is, is, um, is, is a major player, a leader in that space in, in being able to deliver a natural blue dye that is, that is food safe and stable. And the fifth company that we're working with um, is working on um, solving, um, solving uh, pig, uh, pig health um, issues by um, facilitating the, the flow of information with the, the, the barn workers and, and the various uh, players in the, in the pig growing and, and processing operations. And it, what's really interesting about what Telltale, uh, Telltale is the name of the company, what's interesting about what Telltale is doing is uh, they've acknowledged that, well, first of all, there's a fair amount of opportunity in, in helping the people who are working the, the, the barns to learn a little bit more about how to be more effective about their, about their job, which is good for, well, first of all, employee satisfaction. I mean, they're, they're, they're going to be able to do their job better, and that's, that's, that's good for them. But them doing their job better is also good for the pigs as well. And so they're actually solving a labor management problem and a pig welfare, pig healthcare um, health problem, um, or at least improving it. I guess I won't say it, go as far as to say it's a problem, but certainly improving the conditions for the pigs um, by connecting those two pieces, the labor management piece along with uh, the pig welfare piece. So uh, an exciting group of companies, very dynamic group of companies. Um, we're in week two of the program, just wrapping up week two of the program right now. And I can tell you that these companies are fully engaged. They, they are excellent listeners. They're really looking for opportunities to, to learn how to really amplify what they're doing. And the, the, the work that, that they've done over the last two weeks is incredibly impressive. So really looking forward to kind of where they're at when they complete the program. That's some really interesting work that's being done, Jack. I, I think that there's so many things out there that the average consumer, the average grower, myself, would never have considered. But those are really interesting concepts that you that you discussed there. And we always like to ask our guests towards the end of the podcast what they see for the future of ag. And, and I'm not sure that <laughs> that's even a fair question to ask you because you're obviously in a unique position where you see a lot of things that are going on, but if you could really boil it down to, you know, a concept or something that you see coming in the future, what does get you really excited about the future in addition to these things that you've talked about? One thing that I, and I know that it's made people really anxious. One of the things that I think there's several pieces that I see sort of coming together around transparency in the food supply chain. And I think there are a lot of really, I mean, the vast majority of farmers, I think, are really good, honest people that, frankly, deserve that transparency. I know there's some anxiety around it. And so we have to make sure that as we increase transparency in the food supply chain, um, that we're doing it in a way that puts things in context um, so that the people who are seeing that some of that information for the first time 
also have the information that they need to understand that information. And they're not just come jumping to their own conclusions. But I think as we sort of build out that transparency, it's really an opportunity for the, for the farmer to affirm to the rest of the world, look, <laughs> going back to the straw hat, that's not the case, right? That, that's not what's going on. It's a very sophisticated operation. They care very much about what they're doing. They care very much about producing a quality product. And I think that there's definitely an opportunity with increasing transparency in food supply chain to, to put the to put the grower um, you know, in, 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 a, in, a, in a positive light, in, in a positive spotlight, draw some good attention to them. And I think um, in support of that, I think also there's a lot of, um, you know, ag is gonna continue to, um, to adopt these digital technologies, especially as they prove themselves to be, you know, worth the time, worth the effort, and, and ideally replace things that were more time and more effort. Um, and so I'm really excited to kind of see, see farmers, you know, uh, you know, have a little more money at the end of the season and um, have a little more time. I, you know, that's, I think that's the best, the best thing that this, any of this innovation can give back to the, to the farmer is, you know, a combination of those two things, more money and more time. It just, both of those things, I feel like they're, they're pretty strapped <laughs> at the moment. So anything I can do to kind of foster that, I'm, I'm, I get excited about that. And I think, um, I think there's also an opportunity to sort of, you know, look at ways that we can, uh, you know, and every farmer I've talked to is interested in farming more than just one or two more years. You know, this is a, this is a lifelong endeavor for a lot of them. And that means, you know, sustainability is something that isn't just a, an idea that comes out of some, you know, 70 second story office. It's, 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 uh, it's the way of life and has been a way of life for most farmers already. So I think the more technologies we can deliver, the more practical technologies that we can deliver that enable them to uh, to to make sure that you know there's there's land to farm in a hundred years, um, and the more we make those tools demonstrate that they're effective, I think that's a critical part of it. But also, um, you know, support them in their adoption of those things, and 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 you know, as they as they pursue that uh, pursue those opportunities, I think that's also a really important thing. And you know, I think I would be remiss if I left out. We cannot expect farmers agronomists, crop salespeople to become data scientists overnight. So the, the big data problem, the big data challenges that are that are rapidly emerging in ag, we've got to have solutions for those. They've got to be things where the farmer can look at one or two or three of the most important things for him to look at that day on a daily basis without having to, you know, open up a dozen different apps and check his email and 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 all of that. It's not an efficient way to do it. So I think the more concise we can be about the insights we're providing um, the farmers and other people that are involved, I think that's uh, that's another area I'm excited to see um, uh, improve over the over the next several years. We've kind of come full circle because at the beginning of the interview, you started you talked a little bit about NDVI and how that never really has taken off to the extent that maybe some people thought it would as far as being a useful tool for farmers although it you know it does have its utility but i think that early on the problem big part of the problem was just not knowing how to use that data it is valuable data but it's very difficult to really condense it down into a usable format and i think some people are figuring some of that out but as you mentioned it's not something that happens overnight Right. And NDVI is the, is a, I have personal experience with it. So I feel like it's sort of a poster child for that, but it is not the only, is not the only example of that. And so I think, um, yeah, I, I think that, you know, we've got a, we have, we have a lot of data that we could just use better. And, and so I, it, there, there are definitely opportunities out there for that. I've, I've seen some, some early, early glimmers of hope that, um, that we'll get more to decision engines instead of data platforms. Um, obviously, they'll be built on data platforms, but um, there will be another intermediate layer that, that facilitates the digestion of that data. Another interesting concept that you mentioned, uh, you know, you're talking about sustainability and how farmers are in it for the long haul, often farm for 30, 40, 50 years, but also not even for their own career, but most farmers desire you know, many, if not most, desire to pass on the operation to their children. Right. And, and they, they eat the same food everybody else does. So they're not interested in, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm a little sensitive of, of criticism of, of farmers, I guess, but you're absolutely right. And I think that legacy is something that any effort, I think, to change a grower's practice, it has to be, take that into consideration and also the practical, the practicality of it too. Because you don't have, 
I think that the dilemma that faces American farmers when it comes to changing practices is you don't have a farm to pass on to your children if you kill the ground that you're growing in. Farmers know that. But you also don't have a farm to pass on to your children if you go on a business because in protecting the ground, you've managed to make yourself not profitable. So whatever solution we present to growers and whatever innovations we, 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 we present to growers has to check both boxes. It has to be practical and it has to be good for the land that they're working. You can check both of those box, boxes. You're fully aligned with the goals that, uh, that farmers have. And so I think that's, that's an important thing to, to really emphasize uh, is that, that that's, that's where innovation um, in terms of changing practices or, or chemistries or whatever, that's where that innovation is going to be successful if it can check both of those boxes. Awesome. Well, I think that's a great place to conclude this. Jack, I think we could talk for probably four hours with you. Uh, <laughs> we want to be respectful of your time. So to wrap things up here, would you like to plug um, yourself or your accelerator? Yeah, absolutely. So the best way to get in touch with me is just via email. Um, so my email address is jack at uh, generator. It's spelled a little funny. G-E-N-E-R and then the number 8-T-O-R.com. And uh, happy to, uh, you know, if people are interested in connecting with the companies that we've got, um, you know, and so in particular, if you're interested in trying out uh, potentially all of these companies are going to be looking for beta testers. So if you're interested in trying any of this stuff out or want to learn more, more than happy to, uh, to answer any questions. Um, and if you know anybody that is working on innovation in any of these areas uh, that I had mentioned or some other area that I didn't mention that's related to ag tech, please feel free to put them in touch with me. We're always looking for what the net, next batch of companies is going to be. Um, and, and, and kind of uh, staying in touch with those companies. So happy, happy to connect with anybody that's interested in ag tech innovation in, in, in any way. I'm, I'm pretty passionate about this field and excited to, uh, to meet other people that are, that are like-minded. Well, we'll be sure to link your email address in the show notes, and then we'll find a news release as well and, and share that in the show notes. Um, Jack, it's been a pleasure. And we hope to uh, hopefully have you on the podcast again, maybe for the next round of entrepreneurs. Thanks a lot. The views expressed on this program are not necessarily those of the program hosts or their employer.